together from the word of the Lord. Singing like that gets you anxious to preach, won't it? Praise the Lord. Songs that glorify the Lord. Welcome his presence. They prepare our hearts to receive the word of the Lord. Today, under God's anointing, we want to attempt to do that. I'd ask you to remember our family. We lost a distant relative this week. She'll be funeralized this afternoon around 3 o'clock. So I solicit your prayers on behalf of her family. If you have your Bibles, you're already standing. Would you let's glean together from the Word of God found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians 6 beginning in verses 10 through 12. Been ministering now for a number of weeks on the series, The War Within, Conquering One's Self. If we were to use a thought today or a subject text, it would be a very, very popular phrase that's circulating among us right now, and that is the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Are you there? Let's glean together from the word of the Lord. Paul writes Ephesians 6 and 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Really want to draw your attention to verse number 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Look at your neighbor. Neighbor, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. God, would you anoint again your word as you have done in ancient times? Lord, let it go out this morning in great power and conviction so as to impact hearts and change lives. And Father, if there's one unsaved person under our voice, release the power of the Holy Ghost to convict them of sin and wrong, bringing them to repentance through confession that they may receive the glorious gift of salvation through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and ask these things. God's church said amen. Amen and amen. You might be seated if you can. Somebody asked me on last evening, was I, was I anticipating a large group in church today? And my immediate response was, probably not. Um, there will be a lot of them getting that H2O therapy. Just as soon as it gets warm, we love to recreate. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't take what I'm saying wrong. But whatever you do, make time for God. Make time for God. The seven deadly sins, as they're commonly referred to, they're known by everyone. They're both subtle and destructive. They are all rooted in pride. They're all fatal to spiritual progress. If we allow them to take root in our heart, all of them distance us from the presence of God. Now, it was Pope Gregory the Great, the 6th century Pope, the Catholic Church, who is accredited with these named sins in relation to a specific behavior that was very prevalent in his time. Now, think about that 6th century 
21st century. That's many hundreds of years ago. So it goes without saying that, th that this is nothing new. That the human race has battled sin since the garden. And although these sins are not specifically listed in the Bible as cardinal sins or deadly sins, they are still nonetheless sin. And all sin separates us from God. It was Mark Twain. Anybody remember Mark Twain? What's Mark Twain famous for? He's famous for Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Mark Twain was his pen name. His real name was Samuel Langhorn Clemens. And here's what he said. He said, there is a charm about the forbidden that makes it unspeakably desirable. Any truth to that? He said, there is a charm about the forbidden that makes it unspeakably desirable. So in today's text, Paul unveils the reality of the warfare that you and I are currently engaged in. And any believers in the house will say amen to the fact that we're in a war. We're in the fight of our lives, are we not? I want us to understand that number one, we're fighting against the forces of the flesh. The forces of the flesh. When we speak about a force, we're speaking about an organized body of personnel. Lots of times we think of it in terms of military or the police. And the flesh is defined from the original Greek word sarx, which makes reference to the physical body. So Paul is helping us to understand that we are not fighting against one another, but we are wrestling against uh, those spiritual principalities and wickednesses in high places. You see, I believe in all my heart that it was pride that was the precursor or the forerunner of all major sins. Well, let me reclassify that, if I might. It was the forerunner of all sin. Because if we trace the steps of the scripture to the enemy who was originally created as an angelic beast and enjoyed the pleasure of heaven alone with God and then allowed pride and envious coveting of the worship of God to take root in his heart, it was those things that caused rebellion to be birthed in Satan. Hello? And it was then again in the Garden of Eden that we see Satan at work again. Paul uses the word wiles in today's text. We underline that word wiles because it has great significant meaning. It means clever plans, crafty deceptions, and cunning methods. We have to come to the realization that Satan's plan of attack is an organized strategy. Satan doesn't just come at us off the cuff. He doesn't come at us, glory to God, without uh, some divisive scheme, some strategic plan to derail the body of Christ, the people of God. Anybody listening? Because he is the director of all demonic forces, he is always attempting to derail you and I, the people of God. 
But listen what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, the latter clause of verse 11. When Paul said, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We are not ignorant. What does that mean? It means we are not unknowledgeable. In other words, saints of God, we are well versed in how the enemy masks his strategic plan. We are very keenly aware of how the devil will make something look so good that it's almost irresistible. Help me, saints of God. And what we have to understand is that, number one, he's the director of all the demonic forces that exist in the world today. But glory to the risen God, amen, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who tells us through the anointed man of God, Paul, that we are not unknowledgeable. We are not ignorant to Satan's devices. Somebody said, well, if it looks like a duck and sounds like a duck and quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. That's not always true. They're impersonators. They're counterfeits. The struggle is real. What does real mean? It means not an imitation. It means not artificial. It means not counterfeit. The word real means genuine. That's why, praise the Lord, the element of discernment is so key to the life of the believer. It is not only the ability to know right and wrong, but it's also, uh, glory to God, the power of God that enables us to know good from evil. So discernment is so key. We can see the devil coming because we know every device and scheme that he has conjured up. But what happens when we become overwhelmed or we become flattered by things around us and our focus is not where it should be? Then it's very easy for the enemy to slip something in undercover. And before we know it, we are partaking in something that's ungodly and not pleasing to the Lord. Hallelujah. The word envy, Merriam-Webster tells us, is a resentful longing aroused by the possessions or qualities of others. Another word that can be interchanged with the word envy is covetousness. I do believe that Satan was he was coveting the worship that was due God in heaven. And it was in that instant, Brother Jeff, that the enemy said, I mean, it just ain't right that God ought to be getting all this worship. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to derail God, take him off the throne. I'm going to rise above it and occupy his seat myself. And the Bible tells us through the major prophet Isaiah that the devil had his say until God finally stood up and cleared his throat. And when he did, he made an emphatic statement. He said to the enemy, enemy, I'm going to bring you down to the sides of the pit. And we understand from that day forward that the enemy can no longer occupy the bliss and splendor of all of heaven because he just made, amen, a lot of taunts. He just said a lot of things that he couldn't back up. I come to remind us today that God's been God forever and that's not going to ever change. Is that right, saints of God? I said God's been God forever and that's never going to change. It was Satan's envy, his coveting of the worship of God that caused pride to root in his heart and bitterness to sink into his soul. And it was in that instant that he said, I'm going to rise above God. It just, it's just not right that he ought to be getting all that worship. I'm the worship leader. Look at what I have to offer. 
And it caused him to be forever removed from the presence of God. So let me say to us today that these things only cause problems. And they're very detrimental. They're fatal to our spiritual progress. So I want to rehash some of these. I want to rehash those things we've talked about in recent weeks. What about gluttony? Gluttony is the inordinate desire to consume more than we require. It's a sin that we commonly accept. Gluttony is even a sin that we often tolerate. Can I bless somebody? But I believe it has a twofold application because we can be spiritually gluttons as well. Come on, saints of God. We can be spiritual gluttons as well. But let me say this to us. From a spiritual standpoint, any desire consumed in excess is gluttony. It's gluttony. Now, if we eat till we hurt, God in heaven knows we make ourselves miserable on top of the fact that we know it's a sin. But yet we're the most obese nation on the face of the planet. Right here in America. God is calling us to holiness and a righteous standard of living. What about lust? Lust is the intense or unrestrained sexual craving that we possess. I threw out some stats to us the last time we were together. But here's another one. Pornography alone in this country. It generates more revenue. You better hold your seat. It generates more revenue annually than the NFL the NBA, and Major League Baseball. In a year. That ought to blow your mind. It'll cost you 500 bucks to watch a football game in person. And that's not even a sideline seat. Hello, I know I'm preaching to somebody. But I want to tell you, glory to God, that these things are separating us from God. I'm talking about lust, my friend. The pornography industry alone generates more revenue than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. I don't know how much you pay attention to things, but didn't Manny Machado just sign over a $300 million contract before the beginning of baseball season? If you've never been blessed with the opportunity to see a professional game, I'm here to tell you, if you get decent seats, it's going to dearly cost you. And pornography and, and, and the lust that we as people have for such, it, it far exceeds the revenues collected by three major sports in this country. That ought to awaken us. That ought to help us understand the forces that we combat in the flesh are real. They're real. I think it was also in those stats that I said by the age of 14, almost every child here in, in America, they've been exposed to pornography. Pornography has caused a spike in divorces. Now I know some of y'all, y'all looking at me like, Pastor, ain't no place to be talking about that. Yes, it is, because the enemy has tempted some of you to watch it. It's a good place to talk about it. It's a good place to talk about it because the enemy has, has provoked you to thinking that you're so holy and full of the Holy Ghost that you can look at things that other people can't look at. I got good news for you, amen. All sin is unrighteousness before the presence of God and none is greater than the other. And we are in the war of our life. So we had better realize every device, every scheme, every crafty move that the enemy has to make. Or it'll separate us eternally 
from God. Some of y'all are like, please move on from that. Can we move on? Let's look at Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 5. I'm just trying to help somebody. Praise the Lord. Somebody want to go do some H2O therapy because they get to see all those girls in those bikinis. Preach, Pastor Terry. Look at the mighty handiwork of the Lord. I've heard it said. I might as well preach it. I might as well, I've tore it up. I might as well fix it. Praise the Lord. I've heard folks say it. But let me tell you something, folks. Praise the Lord. That thing will cause us to be eternally separated from God. We think that, oh, we can just have our attention pulled aside for a moment. What if the Lord would come in that instant that our focus and our attention is off of God and on to other things? What if in that split second that the Lord would come and every effort that we've ever mustered to gain right standing with God would be forever lost forever lost it'd be forever lost look at let's look at Colossians 3 and 5 Paul says put to death your members which are on the earth fornication uncleanness passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry what is Paul doing Paul is saying I want to encourage the believer the body of Christ to make a clean break from the past and move forward in the Lord Let me tell you what this takes. It takes a daily conscious decision. And it also takes diligent effort. You know what the people said in the Old Testament when they returned from the exile and God's blessings was upon their life and he had spoken through the prophet Haggai rebuild the house of God And several years had passed, and they were uh, investing in their own homes while the house of God lie in ruins. You know what they said? Well, if God wanted us to rebuild his house, he'd have brought the material and dropped them right here at our feet. I'm paraphrasing. I know that's not what the Bible says, but it encompasses what the Bible meant. So, so, So what am I saying? The enemy will present all kinds of of favorable opportunities for you. To, you don't have to look for sin. Sin will look for you. Is this good preaching? You don't have to look for opportunities to sin. They will find you. Oh, praise the Lord. Paul said, put them to death. Crucify them. Some people say, am I to run from them? No, if you've got a problem, you're to run it down, nail it to the cross of Jesus Christ and say I've been delivered by the blood of the matchless Lamb of God and I will not allow this, amen, to rule my life anymore. Not only does it take a daily conscious decision, it requires diligent effort. That's lust. How about greed? The obsession of accumulating material possessions. This is one of the most irrational things. It's one of the most unreasonable things about greeds, especially in, in Western culture, especially where we live. Preach, Pastor. Because what happens is we often measure the quality of our lives and the scope of our success by the volume of our stuff. Boy, that hallelujah. That's how we measure. Oh, praise the Lord. The quality of our lives. 
by our accumulation. We measure the extent, the scope of our success by the volume of our, I'm going to say it, stuff. The volume of our stuff. What is it you girls say? Boys don't have toys. Let's be real. But the truth of the matter is, right here today, in the very presence of God, we are masters of justifying having more than we can uh, really need uh, so that we can keep from being a blessing to somebody else. We're masters of saying, but I worked hard and I deserve. Oh, my Lord. Saints of God, if we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here today enjoying, praise God, the presence of the Lord. If we got what was coming to us, had not Jesus, hallelujah, stepped down from the eternity of heaven, help me, Holy Ghost. If we'd have got what we deserve, there would be nobody, glory to God, congregated today at 986 Raynham Farms Road. We would all be tormented forever in hell. If we got what we deserved. But God is calling us to a standard. He's calling us to holiness. He's calling us to righteous living. And we're masters of justifying why we got this and why we got that. Preacher, you better be careful. Don't you have some things you enjoy? I certainly do. I certainly do. I don't put them before God. God's first in our lives. Listen what John said in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. Listen. Whoever has this world's goods sees his brother in need, shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Churches sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars. I might as well hairlift the devil here. Hallelujah. Sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars and people in the neighborhood starving. Children running around with no clothes. Can't pay fuel bills in the winter. But churches storing up riches. God help us. Our priorities are in the wrong place. You see, love always involves sacrifice. And sacrifice translates into actions. Is this okay, saints of God? Love always involves a sacrifice which translates into actions. So as Christians, we must be willing to give ourselves for the benefit of others. Isn't that what Jesus did? Praise the Lord. Brings me to my next point. The sin of sloth. Laziness. Inactivity. Derives from the word acidia, which means without care. It finds itself in the expression of laziness. And here's a few ways to identify sloth, carelessness. Forgetting what really matters, like prayer and the worship of God. Can I, do I need to go on? Can I tell you that as believers we're filled with procrastination. The spirit of sloth. The attitude of laziness. We're filled with it. And we justify it by saying the Lord knows I'm tarred. Not tired, tarred. The Lord knows I'm tarred. Even he rested. 
Oh, my Lord, somebody. We understand that he rested to show us we would need to. The gentleman said to me, oh, you mean your God was tired? I said, no. Isaiah said he never sleeps or slumbers. But after he created everything he created and saw that it was good, he rested. Praise the Lord. Setting the example for you and I and knowing that we need to rest. But the problem with us is that we are procrastinators. We're huge procrastinators. And we are always delaying or postponing something we could do right now. It becomes a matter of priority. It becomes a matter of priority. And we prioritize things that are important. You write this down if you don't write anything yet. We're going to do what we love. As a matter of fact, we're going to make time to do what we love. If something, oh God, help me Lord. Even if something else has to suffer, we're going to make time to do what we love. Let me tell you the drug of choice today. Can I tell you the drug of choice in America? Entertainment. Entertainment is the drug of choice. In America today. It produces a whole different level of sloth. Entertainment. What does it do? Entertainment's killing our senses. We're becoming desensitized to the things of God. To embrace what makes us feel good. Let me tell you what entertainment does. It replaces prayer. It replaces reading our Bibles. It replaces devotion. Can I tell you sometime we just need to learn to say no? You want to shock the devil? Anybody want to shock the devil? You want to shock the devil, tell him no. When he presents an opportunity to sin... Especially one that in times past we have been gullible and fallen into. You want to shock him when he presents that opportunity. Say, no devil, not today. Somebody said, Pastor, you don't never have a bad day, do you? No, all my days are in the Lord. I, I, I don't have bad, no. All my days are in the Lord. Pastor, you wake up on the right side. I didn't know there was a wrong side of the bed to wake up on. All of it's having the right mindset. My father used to say if you dread something, it makes it doubly worse. My father used to say if you would hate doing this, son, the whole time you're having to, it's going to make it harder and harder. Isn't that the fact? It's the truth. So what is entertainment doing? It's killing our senses because we're using it to replace prayer, reading our Bibles, going to Bible study, participating in the functions of the church. We need to learn to say to the devil, no, not today. Well, this is really going to bless you. We need to unplug from the electronic world, social media. Let's declare a fast from that. And see how that works. 
Preachers, ain't nothing, there's nothing wrong with social media. When it replaces time we could spend with God, there's something wrong. Praise the Lord, somebody. I can tell right now y'all are anxious for me to move off of that subject. How am I going to combat these things? How about with, with, with humility? Humility. How, how am I going to combat these sins? How about being humble in the presence of God and making this acknowledgement? Lord, I can't do anything with these problems in my life aside from my relationship with you. I thought I was a big man. I thought I could do these things on my own. But the truth of the matter is I am solely dependent on you, your grace, and your power to assist me in this crisis. How about humility? I heard my wife talk about this this morning in Sunday school. Brother Arbus talking about it this morning. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Wow. That's why we need to learn to put God first. Others second. And ourselves third. We have it reversed, don't we? Yeah. They used to sing a song. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. And I am the clay. We reverse that. We want to tell God today we're the potter. And he's the clay. But that's, it's my life, Lord. I want to do with it what I want. I want to do what makes me happy. You don't even want me to go to happy. You don't even want me to talk about happy. Because God never wants us happy. Oh boy, Brother Jason, this isn't in my notes. God never wants us happy. Oh, my pastor, I just want to be happy. That means you want the joy of the Lord to come and go. Because that's what happiness is. I know I want the joy of the Lord in my life. I want the joy of God in my life. How about wrath? Let's move on to wrath. Violent anger. Vehement exasperation. What does that mean? Forceful fury and or rage. Now a lot of people think that rage and anger are the same thing. But I beg to differ. Some people say well they're the same. They just have varying degrees of severity. Look what Proverbs 29 and 11, look what it says. Somebody says, well, I know Jeremiah 29 and 11. What about Proverbs 29 and 11? Proverbs 29 and 11 says, the fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Did not the Bible say the tongue was an unruly evil? Didn't the Bible say we can put bits in a horse's mouth? And we can guide him in any direction we want him. But this little member right here in our mouth, between our teeth and gums, is a deadly little creature. The Bible said no man can tame it. Well, who can? God can. So what does that mean? It means we have to submit it to God. We have to give it to him. And if we give it to God, then we'll understand he has the power and ability to control. Do you know that some things are better left unsaid for the benefit of everybody involved? This is one of my original creations right here. Let me tell you something about anger. 
when, you can write this down. When anger reaches the rage stage, you get that? The rage stage. When anger reaches the rage stage, it usually means somebody's about to get hurt. Amen. It means something's about to go down. Because rage is uncontrollable anger. Is this an emotion that ought to be a part of our lives as a Christian? Talk to me, class. You ever, you ever allowed your emotions to override your intelligence? Ever? Anybody in here say glory to God? There have been times that we let our emotions override our intelligence. Can we control these attitudes? On our own? No. But only through the transforming power of God. Are we able to control these emotions? I think that's where they got road rage from. I said this in service many years ago, and Brother, Brother Joe Bollinger said, Brother Terry, I said, I'm being honest, which a lot of you won't do. I said, I said it more than one time if cars had rubber bumpers and I could hit that guy that just pulled out in front of me and wouldn't do him any harm, I'd turn that rascal around. And Brother Joe said, Brother Terry. Has anybody in here ever been so sanctified they thought that same thing? You got you, you, you to be somewhere and somebody pulls out in front of you. You're 55 miles per hour. Guy pulls out in front of you and goes 30 feet and puts on his turn signal. This ever happened? And in my mind, I'm thinking, Harold, in my mind, God knows I'm really thinking, really? Did it inconvenience you that much that you had to pull out in front of me to nearly cause a fatal accident to go 30 feet and put on your turn signal? Well, I... At least I didn't shoot him the middle finger or say any bad words. I, I, I didn't. I mean, seriously. I just said like, God, really? We, listen, a rage could fly in us if we're not checked and somebody could get hurt over meaningless things like that. You're on the highway minding your own business. And folks should have been somewhere yesterday are pushing you to get out of the way. Roll down the window, hang halfway out the vehicle, screaming all kinds of obscenities. And I'm like, me? What was that you said? I'm a what? <laughs> like, God help us. But in the reality of the matter, my friends, if we don't trust the transforming power of God to overshadow us at a time like that, what could happen? Rage could fly in you and somebody could be hurt. 
Those are the forces, Brother Oxendine, of the flesh that we are combating daily. Daily. It's real. The struggle is real. The only way we can control these attitudes and emotions are through the transforming power of God. Moving on to my next thought. The great fight. How do I learn to manage the flesh? How do I learn to manage the flesh? Brother Harold's already said it. Walk in the Spirit. Can I bless you and tell you that no human being aside from Jesus Christ himself has ever been perfect? No human being. Does it mean we're not to try? Does it mean that we're not to put forth the effort to attempt to be like Jesus? No, it doesn't mean that. So you mean to tell me, Pastor, that failure is acceptable? Do you mean to tell me that we can mess up and still make things right with God? Absolutely. You know the only kind of sin God can't deal with? Unconfessed sin. Are, are, are you licensing me to sin today? No. I'm not licensing you to sin. For if you know to do right and do it not, it's a sin. That's the word of God. But what did the Bible say that if we, do, if we do sin? Didn't he say we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ the Lord? Did he not say in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an awesome God we serve. So let me say this to us, friend. Failure aids us at times in accomplishing goals. It does. Because what failure does is it tears down our egos. And it motivates us to try again. We're not always going to be successful on the first attempt at every endeavor we engage in. But what's the word of God trying to tell us? There's only one way we can manage in this war against the flesh. There's only one way we can win this great fight. It's found in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. And here's what God's word tells us. He says, walk in the spirit and we won't fulfill the lust." Of the flesh. Is that right, somebody? So, as we develop and as we mature in the Lord, what does verse 17 tell us, Brother Gomez? The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, they're contrary to one another. So that you not do, you do not do the things that you wish. That's why the struggle is real, saints of God. That's why the struggle is real. The spirit and the flesh oppose each other. And as we mature and develop in the Lord, we clearly bear the fruit of the spirit and we become more successful 
in the war against sin. I just need you to trust the process. It's a process. It's something that takes place over a period of time. How many, are, how many in here today in your heart know that you are closer to God today than you were last year this time? That's a process, right? How about five years ago? How many know that you're closer to God right now in this moment than you were five years ago? Why? Because you have invested in the process. The process of spiritual maturity. The process of development in the Spirit of God. And this is how that we win this great fight. So if we commit to the work of the kingdom, let me tell you what it does. If we commit to the work of the kingdom, this suppresses the desires of our flesh. Praise the Lord. Do you believe you influence somebody every day? I want to ask you, do you believe that we influence others daily? Certainly we do. Whether we realize it or not. So our actions and our attitudes and emotions, they influence other people around us. Our priorities affect other people that are around us. So I want to help you with that word, desire. That word desire means a strong yearning. Get this. Desire can be either productive or destructive. It can be productive or destructive. What, what, what? Pastor, what are you, isn't that a powerful thought? That desire, the strong yearning that we possess for something or someone could be either productive or destructive. But let me tell you something. Evil desires lead to more sin. That's evidence in the Word of God. That's clearly, clearly portrayed in the Scriptures. How about Joshua chapter number 7? The sin of Achan. When they conquered Jericho, what happened? This man desired silver and gold and a Babylonian garment and what did it do it demanded the lives of all his family his sons his daughters his livestock and even 36 Israelite soldiers lost their life because this man wanted to possess what was forbidden his desire his strong yearning for what didn't belong to him had devastating effects brother Charlie how about the story of David in 2nd Samuel chapter number 11 what happened to David the desire that he had for Bathsheba led him to commit both adultery and murder that's the Bible, saints of God. That's the word of the Lord. That's not some fairy tale story that I've trumped up. That's the word of the living God. So evil desires lead to more and more sin. It's the truth. I want you to write down the word discipline. The word 
discipline. Is discipline necessary in the life of the people of God? Is it needed? Yes. So what is discipline? Discipline is control that is gained by enforcing order or obedience. Let me tell you who honors discipline. God. God honors discipline. In my closing, anybody remember Lou Holtz? The coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Lou Holtz, he had a, he talked with a lisp in his speech. But he was, he was, he was a known player, coach, and football analyst. And here's what Lou Holtz said. Lou Holtz said, without self-discipline, success, success, excuse me, success is impossible, period. Without self-discipline, success is impossible. Stand with me all over the house of God today. Overcoming sin takes acknowledgement. Overcoming sin takes decisive action against sin and faith in the power of God to both combat and to defeat sin. But what did God's Word tell us in Romans 8.37? What did God's Word tell us? We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Can we overcome? Can we win this battle that's raging in our lives daily? This war of the flesh against the Spirit? Most definitely we can. And it can only be done by our dependence upon the transforming power of God. Who would come to the altar of the Lord today and say, Pastor, I'm...